right, so if kids want to head out to reach kids, they can do that right now. All right, zooming off. Look at that guy go. <laughs> All right, so uh, we've been walking through the life of Peter, the life of Peter, seeing what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That he was actually standing before Jesus. He, he could see Jesus in the flesh and what lessons did he learn? What was he supposed to get from Jesus during this time? Now last week we talked about how Jesus by his, or sorry, Peter, by his faith in Jesus as, as God and as Christ, that he was transformed. That he was transformed into, into the rock and the foundation of the church. And we saw that just like Peter, as we put faith in Jesus as, as God and as the Christ, as our king and as our priest, that we are transformed. That we become living stones in the temple, that we become priests, we become kings, that we are given the keys to the kingdom. And that we can actually unlock the, the gates of heaven to people by giving them Jesus, by reaching them with nothing but Jesus. All right. So there's, there's kind of a, a high lofty sermon about our identity in Jesus. All right, this week, this week we're looking at, at more of the, the nitty-gritty stuff. All right, so just because, we are, just because we are kings and queens in the kingdom, just because we are the foundation of the church, just because we are uh, living stones, all right, first of all, it doesn't make Peter immune from his own sin and his own stupidity. All right, so he's still going to struggle with things. He's going to struggle his whole life. And actually, today we're looking at uh, kind of Peter's core struggle that then he struggled with uh, continually throughout his life. That though he knew who Jesus was, he didn't understand how Jesus actually came to be, how, what, what his work was. He didn't understand the cross. And throughout his life, we see him kind of missing the mark when it comes to the cross. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> the glory of Jesus is performing. Um, <laughs> All right, he, that Peter, Peter misses the cross. All right, so when, he's, when Peter, Jesus is getting arrested, what is, what is Peter trying to do? Peter literally gets out a sword and is trying to fight his way out of it. All right, we see Peter interacting with the Jews, and instead of being persecuted with the Gentiles, he acquiesces, he, he pleases people, he doesn't suffer. Next week, we're going to look at the denial of Peter that as much as he says, yes, yes, I'll suffer with you, Jesus, he, he refuses to, he runs. He doesn't understand this aspect of the Christian life. And so we're going to talk about uh, Jesus' rebuke of Peter. How Jesus, when he came, he came as king, yes, but he came to suffer and he came to die and he came to raise from the dead. But that is the pattern of the gospel. That's the pattern of the kingdom. And last week I said, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to build the kingdom. And we got all excited about that. Uh, this is the reality check of that. All right, it's going to mean our suffering, our dying, and our raising from the dead. That's the only way we build the kingdom. That we have to follow Jesus in these things. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. <laughs>
and read with me. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you that Jesus was willing to, to suffer and to die, and we thank you that he rose from the dead. Father, I ask that you would show us the, the pattern of Jesus that our lives would conform to that pattern and you'd give us a desire to, to suffer and die that we may be raised with Jesus. Would you give us a, a vision of the glory of Jesus that we may do so with joy. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first things first, we need to understand, okay, why is this the pattern of the gospel? Why is this the pattern of building the kingdom? Why did Jesus need to suffer and die and raise from the dead? All right, it seems like a kind of obvious question, but we want to start there because if, if we don't understand how essential it is that Jesus did that for us, we're not going to be able to do it for others. All right, so why is this such an important pattern in the life of Jesus? All right, first, suffering. Suffering. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Jesus could have come. He could have, could have like floated on a cloud, kind of, kind of pretended to hang out. But no, he, he had to suffer. He was going to actually do his work. Now, why? All right, if Jesus is going to get close to sinners and be in actual relationship with sinners, he's going to have to suffer. All right, you and I, you and I are sinners. And as a result, we mess up the world around us. We have destroyed the world. We have made this, made this a, a place of, of sin and misery and suffering. And if Jesus was to come and actually interact with us on our level, he was going to have to suffer. Or even more, if he's going to be in relationship with sinners, he's going to suffer at the hands of our own sin. All right, so parents. Parents, you are in relationship with your kids. You are united to them. You are forced to be with them. All right, they're going to sin against you. That's what they are. If you're going to be in relationship with sinners, they're going to sin against you. If you're married... You're united to someone who is going to sin against you. That to be in, in a loving relationship with someone means you're going to suffer from their sins. And as Jesus came to be with us, he suffered the effects of, of our sin. That to be in relationship with him, we, we discourage him. We, we sin against him. We mistreat him. All right, on a second level, Jesus also has to suffer because there are enemies to sinners that we have, we have a cosmic enemy. We have Satan. Satan standing there as an enemy hoping that, hoping that Jesus does not die for sin. Fighting for the fact that we might not be saved. And if Jesus is actually going to save us, he's going to create enemies along the way. It says that, that the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests would, he would suffer at their hand. Why? Because they were the abusers of, the, of these sinners who needed salvation. They had their thumb on the people. 
And if Jesus is going to suffer, or he's going to save, save those sinners, he's going to create enemies. Right, it's essential that if we're going to enter the kingdom, Jesus has to suffer. All right, second, Jesus has to die. Jesus has to die. And I want to remind us, okay, we are not, we're not merely sick. We're not merely imperfect. Well, we're, not, we're not saying that to, to err is human. All right, we're saying that, that we are so fundamentally broken that Jesus had to come and die for us to pay for our sins, to, to pay for the judgment and wrath of God. And if he didn't do that, he couldn't have us in the kingdom. And actually, we wouldn't actually know his love without that. We wouldn't, as much as he would say that he loved us, he'd be leaving us in the cold. He'd be leaving us in the dark. He'd be leaving us out without real hope. He had to die for us. All right, and third, he had to raise from the dead. He had to raise from the dead. All right, so that's where, all right, Jesus died for us, yes. Jesus died for us to take away our sins. All right, that brings us to zero. But it's not like at that point, Jesus just kicks us to the curb. He says, okay, like, so I paid for your sins. Now, just go, go and be a good person. No, we needed more than that. That if it was just that, then the very next second, we would sin and we'd be dead. All right, we wouldn't be saved for very long. So, and so Jesus not only gives us his death, he gives us his, his resurrection life. He had to raise from the dead so that he'd give us the life that he had earned for us. A life of victory over sin, victory of the power of evil, victory over death. Jesus had to suffer, he had to die, he had to raise from the dead, and he did that for each and every one of us. That's the only way he could build the kingdom. Otherwise, Jesus would be a king without any people. He had to suffer and die and raise on our behalf. Okay? Those three things are, are essential as part of the gospel. All right. Now, how does Peter respond to this? How does Peter respond to this? Verse 22, Peter took him aside. All right, he's polite about it, right? You're never supposed to rebuke someone and shame them. No, so he took, takes Peter aside, or Jesus aside, uh, and, and began to rebuke him. All right, this is dangerous. Right, this, is, this is not good. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. All right, so just as an aside, remember, remember last week. All right. We had Simon. He was renamed. He was named, renamed the Peter, the rock of the church. All right, Peter gets a new name this time. He's Satan this time. All right, he's now Satan. He's the, he's the enemy of God. He's the accuser. He's the, the discourager of Jesus. All right, we, have to, we always have to live with this tension. All right, we are sinners and we are saints. We are called both, both glorious rocks in the kingdom of heaven and like sometimes we're straight up Satan. All right, you're going to have those days. Uh, that's just the reality. All right, so he's, a, he's an enemy of Jesus at this point. All right, second, second, what is he? He's, he's a hindrance to Jesus. So before, he's the foundation of the church. Now he's actually the stumbling stone. He's the one preventing Jesus from building his kingdom. 
is standing in the way. He needs to get out of the way, get behind Jesus, or Jesus is going to run, run him over. All right, last week we saw that, G, that Peter was receiving messages from God on high. That the, heaven was, the heavens were opening and God was anointing Peter with knowledge. All right, this time he's receiving messages from, from his own heart, his own wicked heart, and this is what he came up with. He came up with this, this fantastic plan. All right, I just want to encourage you. Uh, the Christian life is a messy life. It's a messy walk with ups and downs. Sometimes you'll be Peter. Sometimes you'll be Satan. It's just the reality. All right, but we don't want to stay there. We don't want to stay there. So uh, where did Peter go wrong? Where did Peter go wrong? All right, first off, okay, he didn't understand suffering. And I think he didn't want to understand suffering, the suffering of Jesus for his own sake. So Peter assumed that he'd become the rock. He had the keys to the kingdom. He can forgive and, and release people from their sins. And he assumes that now, from this position of power, he should be immune from suffering. That he, he, he's now in the kingdom of God. He's, he's building the kingdom. He expects that, okay, if you're high up in the kingdom, you should suffer less. And Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. I'm the king of the kingdom and I'm called to suffer the most, more than anyone else. And that actually as we follow Jesus, we are not called to, to suffer less. We are called to suffer more. We're called to suffer with Jesus. Alright, Peter doesn't understand the, the death of Jesus. I think Peter honestly thinks that what he needs is, is a life change is for Jesus to come in, overthrow the Roman Empire, make life better for everyone. He doesn't understand the real problem with his heart, with his sin, and doesn't understand that, that Jesus needs to die, that death is part of this. All right, and last of all, last of all, I don't think Peter really even, even sees the resurrection. Now there's three parts. It's suffering, it's dying, and it's raising from the dead on the third day. But if you looked at Peter's reaction, Peter has no idea that that's part of it. He should have said, like, wow, that, that's, that's a lot. That's, a, that's, that's kind of amazing. That's a miracle. How is that going to work, Jesus? But no. No, he cuts out the last one. He only sees the first two. He doesn't fully believe the resurrection. He doesn't understand it. It's not part of his thinking. It's not part of his life. That the suffering and the death, they become the only thing that he sees. The resurrection isn't actually a reality anymore. And so he sees this as the, the loss of his life. And if he stops Jesus from suffering and from dying, then he won't have to follow him either. Okay. Do we understand what Jesus had to do to build the kingdom? What Jesus had to do to, to get you into the kingdom to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. We have to identify that on a fundamental level. And then, and then we say, okay, what does it mean for us? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. I'm going to read uh, verse 24. We're called to build the kingdom in exactly the same way. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. All right, so Jesus is now turning the, turning the stakes and saying, okay, now you are called to follow that same pattern. That if you're going to build the kingdom, you are called to suffer and to die and to raise from the dead. All right, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? All right, in your personal life, in your personal life, in your personal pursuit of Jesus, there's going to be an element of suffering and of death. All right. I know how much you guys don't like spiritual disciplines. I don't really, I don't like them all that much either. All right. There is an aspect of pursuing Jesus that is suffering and that is death. All right. Praying. Praying can be an act of suffering. And we're, not, we're not supposed to say that. Okay. But it is. That pursuing Jesus means, that, means the sacrifice of something else. That you can spend an evening on net, with Netflix or with Jesus and you have that choice. And the reality is that pursuing Jesus entails cutting things off and cutting things out and making choices to pursue Jesus, to, to suffer, to, to be with him and to see him and spend time with him. All right, personal obedience has a suffering element to it. <laughs> oh man, what's going on in there? Uh, <laughs> good thing you're not in there. Oh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> all right, personal obedience. Personal obedience is, is difficult. All right, it entails suffering and death. Uh, but, okay, we act like, okay, just obey. It'll be so much better for you. No, Paul doesn't, doesn't talk about it like that. Paul talks about obedience to the law of God as dying to yourself as crucifying the old man, as killing the old man. That you're going to be asked to do things that you don't want to do that will sound like death to you. And they will be death to you. You'll be called to cut out things that, that you think are life for the sake of Jesus, for, for having him. All right. This, this body, the church, reach church, there's an element of this that is death and that is suffering. All right, and you're thinking like, I can feel it, yes. <laughs> All too clear, Peter. All right. Uh, but I want to remind us, okay, you're not here for yourself. You're not here for yourself. And that we don't exist, you don't exist like, you shouldn't be coming here being like, okay, what can I get out of church today? You should be thinking, okay, how can, how can I help build the kingdom through this church. All right, when we think about worship, we shouldn't think first, okay, what, what worship do, do I want? Will make me the most fulfilled? Will help me get to Jesus? We should be thinking, okay, the people out there, what's going to help them see Jesus? What's going to help them worship? What's going to help them understand who this God is? All right, when we think about what programs to start, my thought, my first thought shouldn't be, well, we should probably have a, a men's group for married men who are 29 who have a single child 
and or in pastoral ministry. Like, let's start that group. That sounds like, like right up my alley. All right. But that's how we think about it. Like, that's, that's always the first group that we think of. All right. Uh, no, we should think first. Wait, what, who are the people that, like, I want to come here? And, like, what would minister to them? What would help them? What would help them see Jesus? All right, let's go even more fundamental. Um, I recognize that some of you hate the greeting time. You hate the greeting time. All right, I don't care if you hate the greeting time. All right, that is your chance to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. All right? It's like three minutes. All right, you can do it. Like, you don't have to stand there and be like, oh, I, I, no. Or like, you, you say hi to the person next to you who is like also the person you came with and like, convenient. Like, let's just like try to keep talking. No, okay. This is your chance to build the kingdom. All right, that's simple. But like, people needed to be greeted here. And we're either here for ourselves to stay, hang out with our friends or hang out with no one and go like this. Um, or we're here to, to actually minister to each other. And build the kingdom. All right, it's, it's very practical. I recognize you guys don't like that, but um, all right, you're outside outside this church. You're also called to to sacrifice and to die. All right, your workplace is a place of of ministry to build the kingdom. Your neighborhood is a place of ministry to build the kingdom. That your oven and your kitchen table are tools for building the kingdom. That your cars and your credit card is a tool for building the kingdom. Like these are, your time is given to you so you may build the kingdom. That you may suffer and die for other people. All right, that is the pattern of building the kingdom. We, we talked about last week that it was like so exciting. and Like, hooray, let's build the kingdom. Uh, this is what it's going to take. It's not glamorous. It's suffering and it's death. All right. All right. This is the brutal part. All right. Uh, woo. Uh, when we talk like this, when we talk like this, we tend to have a certain reaction. When people say things like, oh, like, I, I feel like I'm called to suffer. I feel like I'm called to do this. I feel like I'm called to, to pray more, to read my Bible. I feel like I'm just not doing it. I'm not sacrificing. All right. What do we tend to do? We tend to say exactly what Peter would say. And we say, no, no, like, you're not, you're not called to do that. Don't suffer. You're not called to die. Like, and these things that haven't fallen out of heaven, they've come up from our own hearts. We say things like, well, just take care of yourself. Make, make sure you're, you're taking care of you first. All right, honestly, honestly, those are, those are not from heaven all right, that is not biblical wisdom. That's just psychologized selfishness. And then when we say stuff like that, we're, we're discouraging people in the kingdom of God. We're acting like the realities of, of this pattern don't actually exist. All right, at that point, we are being Satan to one another. We're being the enemies of God. We're being the enemies to one another. All right, encourage one another to, to suffer and die for the sake of the kingdom. If this is a reality, then that's, that's the only choice. That's the only logical choice. And we wonder, okay, why do we do it? 
Why do we discourage suffering and dying in the kingdom? When someone comes to us and is like, oh, I feel really convicted. I need to read my Bible more. Why do we say like, well, no, you don't, don't overdo it. You're going to be one of those spiritual people. All right. Uh, all right. We do that first because just like Peter, if they do it, we're probably called to do it as well. And that we don't want to tell someone to pray because then we'll have to pray. We don't want to tell someone that they, that they should sacrifice because then we'll have to sacrifice too. We're not getting them off the hook. We're getting ourselves off the hook. All right, and second, second, we're discouraging about this because I don't think we really believe in the resurrection. We don't really believe in the resurrection. Peter didn't really believe in the resurrection. That when we see suffering and we see sacrifice, we see that call on our lives, all we see is the death part of it. And all we see is the suffering part of it. We forget that actually that's supposed to bring resurrection life. There's a third part. All right, the time that you give to Jesus is going to be compensated in eternity. All right, you're not going to feel like, oh, I wasted all my time. Like, no, you'll have plenty of time in heaven. You'll, you'll think, why didn't I spend this time building the kingdom of eternity? Not the other way around. All right, when we as a church are sacrificing and suffering together. In eternity, we're going to say, like, look at, the, look at the people who are here because we were, we were the body of Christ. There are people who are, who are in heaven for eternity. There are people who have been, who've been saved. All right, and that's where... All right, you had to have someone suffer and die and raise to life for you. All right, the people out there need that as well. That if we're going to be in relationship with the people out there, we're going to have to suffer. Sinners are messy. Sinners have messy lives. They've ruined their lives. We have ruined our lives with sin. And if we're going to be in relationship with these people, we're going to have to suffer. We're probably going to even create enemies of the people out there. Because they don't want grace. They don't want to be saved. We're going to have to die for people. We're going to have to die for them. There's no safe ministry. There's no safe way to do ministry. We're going to die relationally and emotionally and financially. We are going to die. And they're not actually going to believe the message until we're willing to die for them. All right, but we do all that because there is a resurrection. There is life on the other side. And if that's a reality, this actually isn't a sacrifice. This is just investing in eternity. Now, Jesus recognizes that this is discouraging. He recognizes that hearing this isn't, isn't fun. That to say, take up your cross and follow me is a, is a brutal message. And actually, in context, Jesus then goes six days later and encourages them. He takes Peter and he takes James and he takes John and he takes them up to the mountain. And what happens? He's transfigured. The transfiguration, this is one of those churchy words, the transfiguration. 
He's transformed and so, so that Peter and James and John can see the glory of Jesus. So they have some kind of glimpse of the resurrection life of Jesus, of the beauty of Jesus, of the majesty of Jesus. We sang, we sang earlier about you're beautiful. That the suffering and the death, it isn't beautiful, but, but this Jesus is. And so he shows us his glory. He reminds us that there is resurrection life. And we're reminded, okay, we give our lives to, to God, to the Lord, to this beautiful, radiant one who deserves all our worship. And we actually want to see him worshiped. We want to see him glorified. He deserves it. That more people out there should be worshiping Jesus because he is amazing. And we, we want people to do that. All right, but he also shows us his glory so that we know where we're headed. That as we die and as we suffer, we're moving towards, towards the glory of Jesus. That we're going to be transformed into that picture. That radiant, glowing, glorified Jesus. So keep your eyes on, on the glory of Jesus. Keep your eyes on the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus. All right, what is P Peter? Peter kind of sums it up here. This is a man who, who hated suffering, who ran from suffering. But in the end, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. All right, he's finally figured out the lesson. You're going to suffer. You're going to let suffer. Don't be surprised at it. But verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed. That's what we're looking forward to. And that actually every opportunity to suffer, we, we, we rejoice over because then we'll get to share in the glory of Jesus in the glory of Jesus, in the beauty of Jesus, in the resurrection life of Jesus. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection, this doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> then you're just killing yourself. But if there is a resurrection, Jesus will repay every suffering a thousandfold with greater joy. Do you believe in the resurrection? I think I, think I half-heartedly say yes because I think part of me says yes, but part of me knows that I, I don't because the way I live doesn't show it. Let's believe in the resurrection. Let's believe in the glory to come. Let's believe that there's, there's so much more life to come that this is just a small and momentary affliction for an everlasting weight of glory. All right. So what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? All right, first step is start looking at the glory of Jesus. That means singing songs, if that means reading your Bible, if that means praying, that means going for a walk and looking at the scenery. Like, look at the, the beauty and the glory of Jesus. If you don't get to that step, you're never going to want to suffer because there's nothing to move you towards it. All right. Second, 
You have to change how you think about this place. This is not for you. This is to build the kingdom. This is, this is Jesus' place to bring him glory. All right, and third, all right, I'm not asking you to do anything crazy or anything radical. Just the next time you have an opportunity to suffer, do it. Suffer for Christ. Try it. It doesn't have to be a big thing. All right, have someone over to your house. Invite them over. Say hi to the people here. Go, go out for lunch afterwards. Like, build the kingdom. For the, for the joy of knowing the glory of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess that We don't fully believe in your resurrection. Otherwise, uh, our lives would look so different. And so, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus, that there is resurrection life in him, that the death and suffering that is, is called in this time will be so outstripped and outpaced by the glory of Jesus. Father, would you